Hey, Mom and Dad. Um, I just want to let you know that uh, I it looks like I'm going to be able to come home for Christmas this year. Um, I'm super excited to see you guys. I hope that you haven't changed anything in my room because I'm coming home. See you soon. Love you. Bye. Hi, Mom and Dad. Just want to let you know that John and I and the kids are coming home for Christmas. Hey, Mom and Dad. I know it's been a while since I've seen you guys and we've gotten together, but I just wanted to let you know that I'm coming home for Christmas this year and I can't wait to see you. See you later. Love you. Well, nothing makes you feel more like Christmas than seeing all the luggage at the airport, right? <laughs> anyway, how many are traveling this Christmas? Great. How many of you got your uh, shopping done? Anybody, any hands? I have two words for you. Bah humbug. <laughs> I hate you people. <laughs> we still got more to go. 11 grandkids. Takes a while figuring what they all want and all that fun stuff. So, uh, hey, we're in the middle of a great series for Christmas. I think it's one of my favorites. Uh, I want to just say, um, Marcus and Dan have done the first two. If you've not had a chance... Go uh, to gfc.org, listen to those. Very unique, very different Christmas approach, but I think you'll get a lot out of it, so uh, take a moment and check it out. So there was a few weeks before Christmas, a guy a little older than me, uh, an elderly grandfather, and he had his uh, children and grandchildren, and look, you guys know, shopping, this guy's not old school, he's not online, he's old school, goes to the shopping mall and deal with, he just couldn't do it. Just too old, just too much trouble. So this year, he decided, I'm just going to make it simple. I'm going to write a generous check to every one of my kids and grandkids. So he sits down, and he writes a check to everybody, and then he gets the Christmas cards out. He writes on the Christmas cards, hey, family, Merry Christmas. Uh, go buy your own presents. And then he puts the card in the envelope, sends it off three weeks before Christmas. Didn't hear back from any of his kids and his grandkids, and he's thinking, those were generous gifts. I, I just, I wonder if they didn't get it. So he thought, maybe I better go uh, write just a note and see if they've got it. So he goes back to his office and he moves some papers around and all the checks were sitting on his desk. Go buy your own presents. <laughs> Not a good Christmas for that guy. But I like that story because for me, it actually communicates this idea of the wrong message. Sometimes we intend a message and because of circumstances, we get the wrong message. It is my hope and prayer today, deeply, that you would get today's message, that it would really help you understand this idea of Christmas. And so I wanna ask you a very important question I want you to take serious. I want you to give you a minute just to think about it. What if you knew that this was your last Christmas? What if you knew that this Christmas would be your last? How would that affect what you do? What kinds of gifts would you think about? What kinds of people would you hang out with? Would we all agree that Christmas is filled with a lot of stuff that we really deep down don't want to do? Anybody here go to an office party? <laughs> You know, I know I talk to somebody, they hate their Christmas office party. All right. Different reasons. 
but our activities and our time and our choices. And I want you to think, what would you do different if you knew this was your last Christmas? I never thought much about that until three years ago. Something happened in our life that changed my perception about time and about Christmas. Three years ago, it was at this time that my wife Brenda was diagnosed with stage four peritoneal cancer. It's a cancer that takes the lining of your abdominal cavity and spreads from there. Big surprise. Can I tell you, the year before we discovered this was one of the best years of our life. We had celebrated our 40th anniversary. I can tell you we were more in love than we could ever imagine being in. We were enjoying our life to the fullest. We went to Hawaii, had an amazing time there. Everything that year was amazing until we got this news, a big surprise. You know, it's true. Life can go so well. Everything's great. And then all of a sudden, bam. So I've had a good life. I believe in God. I love God. But I really had to learn and understand, could I trust him? Could I be confident in his plan for our life? And I learned that I could. We had our faith. And it was an amazing thing that God did in us. We could trust God. And what would normally be something that would, you could let just make you depressed and sad, we decided to take a different road. We had hope. Through our great medical team, people that we came to love and know as friends, with the Kaiser program, Dr. Lee, Dr. Kono, Dr. Emery Schubert, these were the people that were involved. They became very special to us and very connected to us. We had hope that through them we could find a cure for this cancer. We had support. We had the love of our family and our close friends. We had our church. Church is important. To be surrounded with people. Pastor John and Chris, quite frankly, when we got the news, came over, just cried with us, hung out with us. God was really using them in a very special way at that time. Our JFC pastors, quite amazing. Our wonderful church, many of you, especially those that we were connected in our discipleship groups, they really gave us support. And with all that, we were still looking at the idea of mortality. We began to look at our life and the limits that we had in a different way because for the first time, they were very real. So from that point on, our holidays, our anniversaries, our birthdays, and especially Christmas, because that means a lot to us, was a very special time. Not knowing what the future holds, we were gonna wring out the best we could. We didn't take anything for granted but truly appreciated and were grateful for every day and every special opportunity of life. It is these times that many of you have also experienced and it makes you think differently. What if this is your last Christmas? So in this series, we talk about this great story, one of the best stories of the Bible, if you ask me, about the prodigal. And so we've built in these last few weeks this story around him. But I want you to know today, 
In a very simple way, I think the prodigal is a story of how God sees home and how we should see the Father. So today I give you a few of my own observations about what is home. The first one, home for me is a place. All right, it is a place. What memories do you have of home at Christmas? What comes to mind when you think of your Christmas at home as a child now? See, Brenda's family, they're all from Texas. Our family's here from Colorado. So we were working in youth ministry in Texas, and when we would come here for Christmas, it was home for me. We had a house, we had a life in Texas, but something about coming to Colorado and having Christmas at home was very special. I looked forward to the snow, seeing the mountains. Going to Texas when we were here working in youth ministry at a church in Lakewood was home for her. The surroundings, the comfort, the things that she was used to was special to her. The humidity, the bugs. <laughs> I'm sorry, babe, I had to go there. You think of mom's home cooking. You think of your favorite restaurants. I don't know about you, but I like food. Amen. Can I get an amen? Yeah. And at Christmas time, there's lots of food in our home. Favorite meals. Can you relate to that? Can you picture your home and the things that we're talking about there? Well, the Bible tells us that for the prodigal, home for him was food also. And he was in a bad way. In Luke 15, here's his story. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded the local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his field to feed the pigs. Anybody here ever been around a pig pen? Anybody? It is a really nasty place, and pigs are really ornery. <coughs> the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looks good to him. Listen to this. But no one gave him anything. <coughs> now, I don't know about you. If I'm in that situation, my thought would wander to home. I'm sure he was thinking, right now, Pop is probably laying out a roasted lamb, some fresh vegetables, some fresh fruit, and all the delicacies that he grew up with. But here I am, looking at the seed casings that only the pigs would eat. He began to wonder about home. And it was then he thought, the servants in my dad's house eat better food than I'm eating. Maybe, maybe if I head home, I could even have the servants' leftovers. So he heads home with that hope. But here's what he gets. Not the servants' quarters, not the servants' leftovers, but a father that greets him. The scripture says, when he saw him, he said, kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. In the South, that's kind of like start up the grill. We're going to cook some ribeyes. Think about that. You are starving. And one of the first things when you come home is let's get you some good meat. <laughs> I love that. I've never been that hungry. I really have not ever been that hungry. But I can tell you this, in my spirit, the analogy of this story and God calling us all home, I have been hungry. I've been at a place where I was prodigal, 
I was talking to Brenda this morning about what does prodigal mean? It means reckless, wasteful. Have you ever lived a segment of your life reckless, wasteful? Have you ever been in that place where you were just starving for God? And when you come home and the welcome that you get in the much needed spiritual food for your life, that is available to every one of us here. Jesus says in John 6.35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I hope you know how good that is. I hope you've experienced that in your life. Excuse me. I'm well aware that life, I've met some of you this morning, is filled with heartache. We know it's filled with cancer, disease. It's amazing how in the few conversations I've had this morning, many of these were covered. Loss, trials, difficulties, hunger. And to know that each and every one of us, no matter where you're at, God, creator of all, fills me and makes a place for me and a place for you. Home is a place. He says, don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. You see, he's speaking to a group of people that are very overwhelmed with life. And he says, there is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Whatever you're going through, this is God's promise. He has a place for you. I challenge you today to have that hunger for God. Because home, in a spiritual sense, for all of us who are the children of God, is a place filled with the feast of heaven. And so often we get caught up in the busyness of this life and we forget that. Don't let this earth dull you to this fact. Several years ago I spoke and I had an illustration that really came to mind. And I share it because my wife says it's one of her favorites. But it's such a great illustration of what I'm trying to say here. Imagine you go in to the hotel down the road, you check in, and you walk into the room and you look around and you're like, I, I just don't like this very much. I'm, I'm going to make a couple improvements. So you start looking at everything. The bed it just isn't right. So you order a comfort sleep mattress and they bring that in and the carpet's just kind of not your color. So you get some folks to come in and rip it up and they put in new carpet the TV's a little small, so you call Best Buy and they come and they bring a big, nice 60-inch high-def TV and you're just really looking through and you walk into the bathroom like, oh man, this tile's got to go. You call in a crew and they rip and gut the bathroom and they put in new marble and new vanities and new shower. And at the end of the week, it's just right. And then you check out and go home. We live that way. We put everything we got into this life. And the reality is, it won't be long. We all will be checking out. And our real home and the real place that we're going to spend eternity is awaiting for us. Don't live that way. Be aware that we're only here for a short time, but then we go home. Second, what is home? To me, it's a person. It's about the people. 
It could be a family member, a mom, a dad, a sibling, a friend, but someone in your life makes coming home special for Christmas. It is for all of us, and we would agree that it's the relationships that make Christmas just warm and inviting. Now, I know and I understand, and this message isn't geared specifically in this direction, but for some of you, that was never the case. Your home, your Christmas was a nightmare. It was difficult. It was abusive. And you would hate to think about those kinds of relationships being a part of your Christmas. You've run away from that. But I will say to everyone, no matter where you're at in this place, it's what we all want. We want those kinds of relationships. We want the good story ending. You know how I know that? Hallmark Christmas movies. (laughs) How many guys have made your wife happy by watching a movie with her? You get extra points. We all know the plot line. Come on. It's just different towns. All of them with fake snow. It's horrible. But we watch them. Why? Because we like the ending. We like everybody getting the love that they want. And we all have that. Home is a person. And I say special people make Christmas special. I have to brag on my wife. She's going to be embarrassed with this, but she truly makes Christmas special. When she grew up, her Christmases weren't that way. And when we started having kids, it was her delight to just make Christmas special. And after about 30 tubs of Christmas lights and decorations, we're there. (laughs) Whoops. As I said earlier, with this journey we're on, we take note. And one of the languages of love that I have is gift giving. And I love it. And I think about it and I listen and I just try to find the right thing that would mean something. Her love language isn't the same. And she, for years, would feel frustrated because she couldn't think of anything like that. And a few years ago, probably one of the most sweetest Christmas moments I think we've ever had. And God's goodness just revealed to us something very neat. She said, I just can't give Christmas the way you give Christmas. And in that moment, God just gave me this amazing revelation. And I said, Brenda, I may give Christmas, but you make Christmas. And she makes Christmas in not only the decorations, but the warmth of her love, the cookies, everything that she has done to make Christmas is very special. And our kids would tell you, for them growing up and now, and for our grandkids, she makes very special Christmas moments. But the prodigal had no idea. He couldn't understand that when he left home as a reckless young man. He wasn't aware of the value of relationship. Here's the most beautiful part of scripture in this story. Luke talks about his returning home. And it says, from a long way out, the father sees him, runs toward him, hugs him, and kisses him. And the father says to the servants, put the best robe on him. Put a ring on his hand. Put sandals on his feet. Now, realize where the son was. He was hoping to be eating the servants' food and living with the servants. And the son was there in Scripture. First thing he says, Father, forgive me. I will be happy to live in a place with the servants. Here's what I find interesting. The father doesn't even answer that. He doesn't say anything. 
He doesn't say, son, I hope you've learned a lesson. Son, I appreciate you asking. Forget it. He just says, here's what it is. He acts. He responds. And he says, here's the robe. You come here in these wretched rags, but I'm going to clothe you with respect and dignity. You come here wasting all the inheritance, but I'm going to put a ring and restore your family authority. You come here barefoot and dirty, but I'm going to put sandals on your feet because they represent that you're a part of this family. You're restored as a son. That is what the father did. And what the story tells us is that for every one of us, the relationship we have with God is a father that welcomes us, that gives us authority, that gives us everything that we need in this life in restoration. Now, the beautiful part of this story, and we haven't covered the older brother, won't have time to do that. I'd like to because he's a pretty interesting uh, part. But I pare this down to just one thought. These two sons were searching for these three things. Pleasure. Hey, dad, give me the money, man. I'm going to go party. The other one was searching for position. I'm the oldest. I should be treated with dignity. Here this worthless brother of mine comes back and you throw a party for him. And then the third one is possessions. Those guys were searching for those things. How often do we do that? What are we looking for in life? Are we looking for the pleasure? Hey, I struggle as you do with this place of identity and position and being valued and respected and possessions that create this security for us. The important part of this story is that the father was saying in this passage, we have all those in him. We have all those in him. You don't have to look to this world for poor substitutes. This story is as much about our Heavenly Father's love as it is about our waywardness. There's so much here in the place and the person because of Jesus. But I want to do something different. I want to step away from this story. I want to flip this script. What if instead of this story, it's written that the Father sends out his son, his child, to do his work? What if we look at that situation today? Being a child of God sent out to do the work of God. Here's what I think is so beautiful because that's what we're all to do as children of God. We're here on this earth to live out and to do his work. So how does that work? How is that possible? And the third point I want to talk to you about is this idea of care packages from home. Heaven on earth. I don't know if you've ever been away from home, maybe in the military, school, job, did you ever get a care package from home? Anybody? I can remember getting a package, had some home-baked goods from my mom, had some little things that reminded me of Colorado, and it was just like a breath of fresh air in the middle of my life. Those care packages mean something. They represent this idea of home. It shares to us this idea of heaven on earth from a scriptural standpoint. It makes what we do here very bearable and it makes us reminded, it brings us a reminder of home. So we're bringing a little bit of home, the place and the person to where we are. Scripture identifies that. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God wants you to experience heaven here and now. Now we know that the great place and the person is planned for us, but for now we can experience that. 
Can you see heaven on earth? <coughs> I used to hear this growing up. I, I, I was a church kid. And I used to hear this. Too heavenly minded to be in the earthly good. Is that something anybody ever hear, had ever heard? I think we have a bigger issue with too earthly minded to be any heavenly good. I really do. So let me share this story. A few weeks ago, we met with our oncologist. And after several rounds of chemo, three hospital stays, several surgical procedures, and a horrible go with a clinical trial that will not be on the market, our doctor told us that they've made the decision to end any treatments because they are no longer effective. We have a great relationship. We can ask the hard questions and he'll give the hard answers. Not knowing though what to ask, I pose the question, should I get our kids here for Christmas? And our doctor said, I think that would be a good idea. Now, I don't know if God has a miracle. I do believe this, and I know this is kind of across the ways with some of you in your theology. I believe healing happens in three ways. Number one, I think God gives healing through medical procedures. Number two, I think God gives miraculous healing. I've seen it. Number three, I think God brings heaven as healing. And I'm okay with that. And I understand that. And I know there's certain theologies that you know, would kick back against that, against that and you got to wrestle with your own part of that, but I'm at comfort with that. You see, I don't know if God has a miracle, a miraculous answer to this. I don't know how much time that we have left, but I will tell you this, for the past three years, and I'm not exaggerating, in every way we've experienced heaven on earth, it may have come through a text a card, flowers, a phone call, a prayer. Every day we've experienced heaven on earth. My sweet wife says it's as if Jesus is saying, I love you. Remember that. I love you as you go through this. The scripture says this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. And when you live your life knowing that any Christmas could be your last. And when you understand that because of Jesus and what he's done, we have the opportunity to live totally different and not to be caught up in this world's way of living, but to be different. Now, there's a teacher I like to listen to, Andy Stanley. I think he's a great teacher. And he, he did a, a, a book on preaching and just talked about things he thinks about and is an article, excuse me. And he said in there, ask the question, as you look at your message, who cares? At first I was like, duh. <laughs> That's deep. <laughs> who cares? And it's really a neat thing because I began to look at every message and here's a point here. Who cares? Who cares? What relevancy is that? I might've thought it up. It sounded good to me, but in the reality, who cares? So since then, I've actually gone through and really tried to take out anything that really didn't matter. But I want to end this message with this idea, who cares? And here's what I want you to know. God cares about the life you live. 
God cares about the life you live. You're not independent. You're not wayward. You're not reckless, but you are a child of God and he cares how you live. God cares about the legacy you leave. What will you be seen and known as when your time is done? God cares about the eternity you have. I'm going to bring you back full circle. Talked about the hotel earlier. Brent and I are at peace that we're not here to remodel. That whenever God chooses, our time to check out will come. And we're okay because we know the home we have and the people we have and the person we have is way better. And that's a good thing to know. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this church, our family and friends that we love so dearly. Thank you that in the middle of this crazy stuff that we call life, you are obviously, obviously there. And for anyone here who presently is living wayward and reckless, let this message be a reminder of a father that wants to restore them and give them all that he has in the place and the person. Lord, the Holy Spirit has been given to us as a gift of God through this earth. I pray, Lord, for anyone here that's going through a difficult time to help them reorient their thinking and look at this life in a more honest, eternal way. I pray encouragement to those struggling today. And let this truth and let this message truly come to their heart today and renew them in the confidence of how much God loves them and how God will walk through their life with them in the season that they're in. Lord, we thank you and love you today in your name. Amen.